the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into Hour 2 of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about, uh, well, let let me put it this way. The U.S. House of Representatives is poised to vote on a series of uh, standalone immigration bills sent over by President Biden and the White House. And uh, I have joining me by phone, my guest this hour, is uh, a prominent immigration attorney and the founder of Goss Associates. She is, in fact, Elizabeth Goss, and she joins me by phone. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Elizabeth? Hmm. Well, she doesn't seem to be coming through. Perhaps she can call back and we can reconnect. I have a feeling she can hear me, but I can't hear her. And that's... uh, Anyway, she is uh, nationally recognized for her work to obtain visas for immigrants. And there she is. Let's see if we can... Aha! Elizabeth! Hi, am I coming through now? You, you are. You are coming through. <laughs> okay. I don't know what happened to us there. Welcome to live I don't radio. Know. <laughs> well, thank you. And welcome to the show. Come hear me. <laughs> and welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Um, let's let's talk about these um, immigration bills. There's there's been a huge shift when uh, President Biden got elected uh, in November and December. <laughs> in January, um, um, but but certainly immigration policy is shifting. Um, how is it 
how is it shifting? Because now we seem to be seeing headlines of uh, the president going back to some methods that were used by former President Trump at the border. Um, that might be a little confusing to people. Right. So I think there's, uh, so to break it down, there's two things going on at the same time. Generally, I, I, the Biden administration came in and basically reset our immigration policy back to where it used to be, which is we are, you know, we are open to, uh, we, we are a welcoming community. We, you know, would welcome immigration in a, you know, an, an organized orderly format. Then we have um, the issues, you know, people are positioning what's happening. So I, I'd like to talk about that later, but but focusing on what the current um, issues are at the border, because that seems to be getting a lot of the headlines. I, you know, I, as a practitioner, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I was down at the border in 2006 um, as the first wall was going up, and we can talk about that if you're interested later. But the, I see this as a crisis of capacity, not necessarily a crisis of numbers, because if you d drill down into the details, um, the people who show up at the southern border are either, you know, people who are apprehended by CBP, so those are the people who are trying to get in illegally. You have people who show up and proactively apply for asylum. And then you have this group of unaccompanied minors who are mostly teenagers. Um, and, and those are the ones that are getting the, the press right now because of, you know, the things that were happening. Well, first of all, the numbers, if you look historically, the numbers are smaller than what we were getting in, in 2019 at this time. So you'll see a seasonal high around this time. And they're more in line with numbers from 2014. So they're, the, the, but the numbers have, because, you know, the specific number might vary from month to month. That's, I think that gets, you know, the attention of press and, and political actors. But then you also have the issue of the crisis of capacity because the system is broken. Um, part of it was the dismantling of, of facilities under the prior administration. Part of it is COVID. Uh, we, we just don't have the beds, the people, the teams uh, to be able to handle the, the, the numbers that are coming in at this time. So there's not an orderly process that's been put in place. It takes time. It takes resources. Uh, and it's not something any administration could do in, you know, in, in 50 days. So that's, I think that's what we're seeing now. It's certainly serious, um, but I don't, I don't think the, the crisis is in the numbers. I think the crisis is in the, the failure of the system. And, and that is that at the heart of the bills that the White House has sent over to uh, Congress? Um, actually, no. The, the, the bills that, that – so uh, – we were more interested in a comp you know, obviously Biden came in and he sends over a comprehensive immigration reform bill, right? And that's the, and, and so the interest first is trying to do a complete overhaul of the system. And again, backtracking, we're working under, we're operating under a system that was created in 1965. There was a, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of tinkering here and there, but we're working under, you know, the same system that's been in place for decades. Elizabeth, let me, let me interrupt yeah, for, for just a moment. Sure. And um, so as we talk about this going forward, we can refer to this. What are the things that a president can do by executive order? And what are the things that need to go to Congress in order to happen? So executive orders are limited. Um, the, 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 the president can do certain things around national security. 
um, they can do certain things within the system we have, but to really fix our system, for example, you know, the system is very limited in numbers of people we, went, we let into the country under the legal system. So, for example, if you want to uh, immigrate doctors and nurses, researchers, uh, we, we give out 140,000 green cards a year for those people who are seeking to come in through high-skilled positions, um, which is a very low number because you're also counting their spouses and children with them. So if you, if you look at the system in that way, those things can only be changed by, by Congress. They can't be changed by a president. And so this comprehensive uh, reform, is it a package of bills then? The comprehensive immigration reform that the, the White House would like to see is, is a comprehensive, you know, funding. It's a comprehensive retooling of the system we have in place. It's, it's allocation of new numbers. Um, that is that is probably it's that's the proposed U.S. Citizenship Act of twenty, you know, twenty twenty one. It would include some smart border technology. Um, but frankly, that piece of legislation is probably not going to get through because of where we're blocked now. There's two pieces of legislation that have moved forward and have been voted out of the House. One is related to ag workers, so agricultural workers. Um, and, the, and the other one is the DACA, um, the Dreamers Act, so to, to um, make the, the DACA program, uh, you know, pass that through Congress. Because right now the DACA program, even though under the, the Biden administration executive order, they undid the Trump dismantling of that program, it's, you know, we're at, it's at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court could say that it's outside of the scope of what the president can do, for example. So those are the two pieces of legislation that have moved out of the House and probably have the most chance of success um, over the, you know, within the next six months. And if, and they, I think they're, what they are is the shot across the bow to see how the Senate takes up these two bills and it will sort of lay the groundwork for other things that we may need, you know, the strategy now is to try to get things through piecemeal if we can. Um, and, and so those are the first two bills that are coming forward. And the, the massive uh, reform bill, um, so that's, that's a, a single large bill, one of these bills we hear about with hundreds if not thousands of pages and all kinds of moving parts, but it's all in one package. It's it's kind of a up or down vote on this. Well, so the the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021 completely, you know, would, it would look to retool the system and it puts, it's everybody's wish list of what we want for reforms within our immigration system. And then, unfortunately, you know, we've tried comprehensive immigration reform um, over the last decades. And, and under the Obama administration, you know, the, they held out for comprehensive immigration reform and failed to get our other smaller reform bills through. Uh, and some of that was by, you know, certain caucuses um, holding back those bills. So I, the Biden administration, I think, has, has taken a... Uh, you know, lesson from that and said, look, here's our comprehensive immigration reform bill, the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2020, 2021. But if we can't get that through, we are going to push through those smaller pieces of legislation that would support our immigration agenda. And, and, you know, as I said, the agricultural workers, which has bipartisan support, so the people who come in to harvest, you know, crops and, and get food from, you know, farm to table for us, um, there, there's a that that program is is under a lot of pressure. There's not a lot of numbers, and so th that's something 
that people have been willing to rally around on a bipartisan basis. Same with DACA. Um, let's 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 ahead. talk about those uh, those um, ag workers. Um, do they come and go around? Uh, various growing seasons, or do they come here to stay and and move around the country to different growing seasons? So I'm not an expert in that area, but they are temp- they are seasonal workers, so they are considered seasonal workers. So whether I, whether or not they can move from one season to another, depending on what area of the country, you know that might be possible. But my understanding is most of them are truly seasonal. So so and they might be here for seven or eight months. So they come in uh, under a visa for a limited period of time and then return um, back south south of the border to Mexico or or farther, depending on where they they come from. Now, the young people that we're hearing about at the border, are, are these teens that are coming across unaccompanied, are they likely to become candidates for... DACA for the for the dreamers uh they're not going to be eligible for candidacy under DACA because they weren't brought here as minors by parents and they uh, weren't here by a certain date so they're they, they're not the people the young and they are mostly teenagers um and and you know they're being they are coming you know, I think there's a lot of under in the last administration we talked a lot about there was a, in, in every administration deterrence how are we going to deter people from showing up at our borders uh and so you know the the trump administration's deterrence policy frankly was to tear apart families uh but at the end of the day if people are being pushed out of their countries and and coming to the border because of horrific situations that they're living in, no, no amount of deterrence is, is probably going to dissuade those people from coming to our borders. And I, I believe that's where the situation is with these, you know, teenagers. And the other piece of deterrence that I think we've, we haven't really addressed honestly in our immigration system is our economy isn't deterring people from coming. I mean, if, if, if there weren't opportunities to work in this country, <laughs> you know, why people wouldn't come. Uh, people wouldn't come because there wouldn't be money to be made or jobs to be had, you know, and there's lots of statistics that people throw around about how much, you know, undocumented workers send back in in, uh, revenue to to their home countries to support their families there. There's lots of, uh, you know, evidence from even our own IRS system about, you know, $11 billion annually being put into um, taxes by undocumented workers. So th- there's lots of statistics and things people throw around, but we don't talk a lot about um, if you have a deterrence policy, it's only deterrence on one side. <laughs> and and it's also not taking into reality the things that force people to leave their countries. Well, it, immigration has a lot of moving parts, and I, and I want to try and talk about some of those and see if we can get to understand a few things that we hear about a little better. But I have a break coming up, Elizabeth. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure. All right, that'll be great. My uh, guest is uh, Elizabeth Goss, and she is a prominent immigration attorney and founder of Goss Associates. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are 92.1 WFOV in Flint. And um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more about immigration right after this. Everybody's doing.
it'll brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show Welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation uh, about immigration with immigration attorney and founder of Goss Associates, Elizabeth Goss. And she joins me by phone. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thank you. Um, Elizabeth, thanks for uh, sticking around, and uh, sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. Um, Just before the break, we were talking about uh, whether or not some of the teens that are coming unattended into the country um, that we've been reading about in in the recent days and weeks uh, if they're eligible for DACA and you said no because of certain criteria and and timing Um, but for decades we've heard presidents talking about um, a path to citizenship is there a path to citizenship, and does it have a lot of lanes, and are some of those lanes closed? So we, we don't, uh, since, since, um, since I would say two and, two, 25 years ago, there's no, if somebody is here in the United States, either undocumented or what we call, you know, somebody came in on a visa and overstayed their visa. So in, in our world, those are two different technical terms. There's no path. For those people to legalize in the United States. So when we talk about comprehensive immigration reform, that is really the centerpiece of a comprehensive comprehensive immigration reform bill. So I've said a couple of times this U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. That the top line item in that is to provide an opportunity, a pathway forward for folks who are here by a certain date, and that date has already passed. And I think it is before in this particular proposals before January 1st, 2021. So it's not, uh, you know, obviously you don't want to have a bill with a date in the future because that would be a potential draw for people to try to enter the United States. So it's always based on a past date. Uh, but right now there are no opportunities for people who are currently here and one of you know, we, I think we, the estimation is something is right, is right now is 11 million. I know it, it kind of fluctuates between 11 and 15 million over the over the last couple of decades, but I think right now that people are talking in terms of 11 million people in those situations. And there are is that the total number of immigrants, or is that the number of illegal immig- undocumented? That, those are the numbers of undocumented. We in our our. In our current system, people who come through the through the front door, I guess, if you want to put it that way, um, we the estimation is about a million green cards. The vast, vast, vast majority of those go to people who are, you know, directly related to U.S. citizens and what we call it's basically spouses of U.S. citizens. Um, if I'm 21 and I'm a U.S. citizen, I can immigrate my parents. And if I'm a U.S. citizen and I have children under 21, I can immigrate my kids. And that's where the vast majority of green cards go, to those direct family relationships. Um, there's another 230,000 that go to some some other family relationships, um, such as, you know, I'm, I'm uh, a green card holder and I want to immigrate my, my kids or my spouse. And then um, some green cards go to people who are U.S. citizens. They could bring in their brothers or sisters. But frankly, that category, you have to wait 15 years for that. So that's not a 
direct immigration route. Those are quota limited. On the other side, we start talking about before employment-based green cards, and that's that's really my area of practice. Um, we give out 140,000 green cards a year. Those are for uh, those are for people. We in my practice specifically, we work with high-skilled workers, lots of researchers, entrepreneurs, doctors, nurses. Um, but you know, um, those would be for people who are sponsored by their employers. Uh, yeah, the they're brought here by are, yeah. a research facility or a hospital or a college, and and Correct. they're invited here, um, and yeah. and they company. come here to stay. Well, and a company, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, or companies, yeah, and and they are they are brought here normally on temporary visas, and then there's a process they they go through to get a permanent green card, uh, and those two things you know, exist in parallel and can take many years for some people because of the quota system backlog. So, for example, if I'm born in India, I could be waiting seven to ten years or more to get my green card. I, I will be here in a in another status, a temporary status, until I were able to get a green card. But I could wait ten years because of the way the system works. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's not flexible and it's not reflective of our economic needs. Is there a cap? On, on the number of green cards, or is the slow yes. processing, there is a cap on no, the number of green cards? It's a cap. Cards. It's a cap on the number of green cards. And as I said before, you know, it's, it's 140000 a year, but if, if you average family members, it's 2.2. So we really give out sixty to 70,000 green cards again for those people a year. And then it's limited by country of birth beyond that. And, and that's where you get these wait times. And how was that determined? That's in the Immigration and Nationality Act. Of you know, it, those are that's that that's the that's the 1990 Immigration and Nationality Act. Those numbers are actually from the 1965 Act. So we're <laughs> we're we're very you know that's being updated. But the last time they were updated was was 30 years ago. So the, and and probably at the time they were updated, it's probably a decade behind anyway. So they're not reflective of the reality of our economic needs. Um, and I think that that's that is problematic for for the country, the country's economy, um, the economic engine of the country, and we're, you know, again, I could throw all kinds of data around, which is pretty boring for your audience, but there's, there's lots of data that shows that innovation, um, small, medium-sized companies, you know, 30% of those companies have at least one founder that's foreign-born. Um, PhDs, 51% of our PhDs that are, are foreign-born. Um, you know, there's there's lots of evidence from all kinds of groups documenting the value to our economy these folks bring. But if we have a, a cap of 140,000 on green cards, and there are 11 million undocumented people living in the United States, um, are 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 we just way behind in in the reality of of what's going on, or are there 11 million people here that shouldn't be? In my opinion, we're, we're, we're way behind. I mean, you know, the, we had levers. There is a lever in the current system. It's, it's a, called Section 245I. And every couple of years, you would see Congress authorize um, the use of this section to allow people a pathway forward who are undocumented if they had sponsorship, either through a family member or through employment. And, you know, they would pay a 
penalty. They have to prove that they were paying taxes, um, you know, and that they were a good community member, didn't have a criminal criminal record and all that good stuff. And so you would see, you know, post-80s. And when I started in this field in the 1990s, there were three times, actually two times, sorry, where this happened. And then we were poised to have another um, period of time where people could have, you know, the option to, the, with the section was going to be authorized by Congress, and 9-11 happened. And so, and we all know what happened after that, right? It wasn't, it, it didn't move forward. It was supposed to move forward under the Bush, Bush administration, didn't move forward, and has never come up again in any conversations with regards to immigration. And so, you know, we're stuck with people who have probably been here decades and, and you know, and, and who are contributing to our economy um, and who are working in, in our economy, but there's no way for them to move forward. Now, am I... Uh, dreaming, or did I hear at at some point discussion of amnesty for some of the uh, people that are here undocumented? So this term amnesty, I think, is a false flag because any even even you know with the Biden administration comprehensive immigration package, any of the immigration packages that have been put forward, there's still a process that people have to go through. So it's not just you know they wake up one day and they have amnesty and they can go get their green card at the you know at their local immigration office. Um, there there are there would be an opportunity for people to apply and they have to meet certain criteria. And so the the use of the term amnesty, I think, is a is a false. It, it, it creates a, and this was thrown around even in the Reagan era in the 19, you know, 1980s when um, there was, there was um, legislation passed to provide a window of opportunity for people to apply. And that's, you know, so this term is thrown around a lot when we're having this discussion, but it's not amnesty. It's not like they just get a blank check and can walk in the door. But yet it does, uh, it, but it does unlock the door. It does, but it also recognizes that, you know, these people are here, they're in our communities, they're intertwined in our communities. And, you know, like I said, we've had decades of, you know, quote unquote, deterrence against the individual. But on the other hand, you have you have some pretty famous cases like the Walmart case, um, where Walmart was fined, uh, you know, a, a pittance. So it was, it was fined $11 million in that case. And, and the reason why it was fined is because they were found to have had undocumented workers as janitors. They themselves figured it out before they were investigated. They fired them. They, the, it was found by the court that they actually, you know, knowingly hired, you know, had somebody create, somebody created a company, hired all those undocumented workers, and then Walmart hired that company. Right. So they put themselves one step away mm. from ha knowing knowing that they were hiring these undocumented workers. But yet the, the, the fine for that was eleven million dollars. And you're talking about one hundred and eighty billion dollar company. If I'm the if I'm the general counsel of that company, it's like buying an insurance policy. So what's my deterrent? You know, and so that's just one major like I just use that as an example. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I don't have any problem with Walmart. I, I think this is something that is done, frankly even at the individual level, how many people have folks that maybe come in to clean their homes or fix their roofs, you know, um, or, or landscape their, their lawns 
or go into a restaurant where they, you know, like the food there. How, how many of us on a day-to-day basis come into contact with these people who are working in our economy, but maybe we just don't see them? So that, you know. Well, one of, uh, I, I, I guess what I wonder is, um, with the system as broken as it is, what are the chances that one of those people we come into contact on a regular basis, whether they're grooming our landscape or, you know, serving our uh, filet mignon, um, what are the chances of those people getting caught and deported? So under the, so this is where the, the, the um, administration matters. So this is where an executive order and the, and, and the president matter. So, for example, under Obama, right, he had priority. Um, and, and Biden is following a similar pattern. They're going to prioritize for deportation folks who have a felony conviction, right? The, the worst of, you know, people who have committed a crime, they're going to go after those first. Under the Trump administration, they unprioritized, so they were basically going after anybody and everybody. But they, the government has limited resources. So, you know, well, that's what I'm getting at, Elizabeth. We hear um, we hear numbers that sound like big numbers of people, you know, being deported. And and we, you know, see these these heart wrenching stories of, you know, uh, kids being left behind because their parents have been deported or, you know, we see all this stuff. But it's really kind of a small percentage of the people that are here. It is, and we'd be better off as a country understanding who is here and having the mechanisms in place to be able to have an orderly processing of our of the folks that we have in this country. It would, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's always going to have some level of inefficiencies and waste like everything, but it certainly would be better to have transparency and an, and an eye on exactly what is going on. And then also within the agencies, you know, you, you have to have a priority I, just because you have, because I, in, in my opinion, I think ICE, for example, over the four years under the Trump administration, I think they were quite lazy. You know, there's, there's really hard, some of this is really hard, just like at the border, Right when the in in 2005 when that first wall went up, I went I was down at the border and I remember talking to somebody on the, you know, a, um, a chief of police for be- lack of a better term on the Mexican side and he looked at me he's like are you are you all crazy you're going to build a wall we're going to find a way these people are going to find a way under it or over it and it was at the time where the cartels were figuring out the trade routes they, they weren't really you know, the cartels weren't involved in, in smuggling at, at, a, at a significant level back then. But they started to figure out around that time that, oh, if we bring people in, this is good money, plus nobody's going to come after us if we lose a load in the desert. I mean, I hate to talk about it in that terms, but if you think about the cartel's mentality, they're, you well, know, sure. when I bring drugs, if I lose that drug, somebody's going to come after me. But if I lose the person, I've already been paid for that cargo. It doesn't matter. So, you know, the incentive for the cartels at the time, we put up a wall. I always say every brick in the wall is a dollar in the pocket of the cartel. Like Trump was the best advertisement for them because they made it more difficult. Therefore, I can't rely on myself. Therefore, I better pay these people. 
and so that the you know the fee goes up and i i'm sorry i lost track of my where i was going with that but no I'm, I'm, I, I think that's the same problem internally i guess is where i was going i'm i'm glad we ran into a wall there because i was hoping to bring up the wall <laughs> because um there is no um one wall fits all uh, there there are sections of of um border walls uh, that have been erected by every president for the last 40 years aren't there yeah yeah and i and i think you know it i'm not saying open border that's ridiculous so you have to have a you know we're, we're a nation of orderly um organized uh processing of people coming into this country is a requirement and there are always going to be people who you know like the cartels or whoever but but i think that focused on like a realistic you a wall doesn't solve our problem it, it doesn't so what you know what are the what are the checks and balances in the system that could solve our problem and there's been a lot of good um you know developments yep. in this area smart border technology better training for our CBP officers and, you know, along the border supports for them, uh, as well as HHS supports, interagency conversations, all those things, you know, would go into having better, you know, being better. Why, why is it so difficult to acknowledge the, let's say, 11 million undocumented people who are here now and functionally a part of our society in you know saying you know fill out this form and you know we'll we'll acknowledge you and you don't have to worry about you know being pulled over and you know um all all of those those negatives is it public opinion is it politics or is it we just don't have the bureaucracy to process them I think it's I think it's politics that's you know that feeds that public opinion comes into play sometimes, but I think the politics can also feed public opinion. I think unfortunately, people look at this as a zero sum game, right? Like if 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 this person comes in, then I lose something, and that's you know that's that's unfortunate. Um, that's an unfortunate byproduct I think of polarization under our current political system. I don't think it's true, you know. I and and I I I have lived 50 years uh and and i've you know been in this field for 28 years because i don't believe it's true and i've seen evidence in my own you know experience where that's not true but i I think that's where it comes from is that people are you know if we do and then there's also that deterrence thing there's always that same old story well if we do this then people are going to come because they see that we're giving you know giving out green cards but we don't give out green cards we've never done that and none of the none of the None of the uh, proposals in, in Congress have, you know, it's not, frankly, just filling out a form and you get, get something. Um, it, you have to meet, you'll have to meet certain criteria. Um, we have the bureaucratic ability to do it. <sighs> it the, 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 the bureaucracy, you know, the, the systems, unfortunately, have been decimated, but we do, we, we do have the capability. We do have the capability. I was going to say, it just, it, it seems like we're making it harder than it needs to be, Elizabeth. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you know, you show yeah. up at the border, you sign the we guest do. book and, uh, yeah. welcome to well, America. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I do think that there's, you know, you, you there, there is a need for, again, orderly prioritization, um, 
you know, what, what's the needs of the country? Is that part of our economic engine? Are you going to be a contributor? We want it. We want those things to be in place. Um, but we make it, you know, it's, it's sometimes even the, the service in the last four years of the Trump administration, for example, in my world, okay, we're not dealing with heart wrenching, um, issues which are very important and far more important than the issues we've been dealing with on our side but there has been a decimation of the systems and a trust in the process over the last four years it's like death by a thousand paper cuts which is not very exciting to talk about it's not it's not you know it's not headline grabbing but it hurts us it hurts us as a nation why because that scientist or the student who is going to come here and maybe, you know, be the one to create the ultimate, you know, vaccine against COVID, the next COVID crisis, maybe was deterred from coming from the United States because we just made it so hard. You know, like th those are the things, those are the opportunities we miss. Um, and those are really the opportunities in our, throughout our history that we've you know, we've sung. And I'm not, I'm not discounting the fact we can go through the history of you know, the, the Chinese, um, uh, you know, the Alien Sedition Act. And, you know, we, we have lots of also horrible history of being very, <laughs> very racist in our immigration policy. But, um, but you know. Where is a good me, place? Last, go ahead. Where is Sorry. a good place for uh, listeners to find out, to get good information about yeah. some of these things, especially the... Uh, the bills that are that are working their way through Congress. Yeah, the um, American Immigration Council is great. AmericanImmigrationCouncil.org. Um, there's also, um, you know, uh, the Cato Institute has some great bipartisan, um, and the Brookings Institute uh, has some great um, written information. I think actually the White House. Um, under its executive orders, they've, they've had some pretty clear factual statements uh, about what their immigration policy is that is very, you know, one through ten, very kind of bullet-pointed format that I think is useful as well. So, it, it, you know, there's, and, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, one journalist that I follow quite often is um, uh, Stuart Anderson from Forbes, he writes a lot of good, uh, he writes a lot of good, easy to read, digestible immigration um, analysis. <laughs> That's the trick right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and he, he's, you know, he, it's digestible. It's quick. It's, it's, it's something that can, can, you know, go into your brain. You're like, oh, I get that. And then, you know, you can move <laughs> on. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And uh, I, I feel like, um, you know, we, we've only scratched the surface. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Elizabeth Goths. She is uh, a prominent immigration attorney who is nationally recognized for her work to obtain visas for immigrants. Um, we've been talking uh, a lot about various aspects of immigration, but primarily the uh, immigration bills that President Biden has sent to the U.S. House of Representatives for consideration as he attempts to reform the immigration system. And uh, anyway, I want to thank uh, Elizabeth Goss uh, again for um, sharing some of her expertise with us this morning. And uh, we're going to take a short break. If you're listening to us at WFOV, 
Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. Um, We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. More of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table.
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The immigrants. Who are they? Where did they come from? Why did they come? From every direction and continent they came, answering Miss Liberty's call. Send me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. She lifts her lamp beside the golden door, and from the teeming shores, the wretched refuse came like hungry mosquitoes to the yellow porch light of freedom. This week on The Immigrants, The Hillbillies. And now your host, Gregory Puck. From every hillside in Europe, discontented hillbillies voice their dissatisfaction with living overseas. From Switzerland. are too short. Yeah, and those frog skiers coming over the hills causing trouble. The cheese got holes in it. And hell, I'm a Baptist. I don't want to guard no Pope. Hey, in America, they got cheese in aerosol cans. From France. I don't like it here in France. Everyone's so snobby. Yeah, I can't read the menus. And everything here is so expensive. In America, you don't have to dress up and you can get Levi's real cheap. From Italy. I don't like it here in Italy. I'm tired of sharecropping. Grapes. Yeah, losing our land to those big olive oil barons. Yeah, I got six little bambinas and a fat mama mia, and I can't hardly make it on the lira iron here. Yeah, and here you can't get no D-I-V-O-R-C-E. And so the great migration began. Throughout Europe, the roads were choked with hillbillies from every country. Yep. Where you from? I'm from the Urals, out Russia way. The Urals? I got some kin up there. You know the Fedeovich family? Yeah, Natasha Jean's a good friend of mine. She is? Well, she's my cousin. Well, where you headed out west? America. I hear the streets are paved with coal. Yep, it's true. And they got showers and real good telephone service, too. From such diverse seaports as Southampton, Rotterdam, and Marseille, they embarked on the arduous sea journey. That would cost some of them their lives, and many their lunch. Hey, strap that mattress to the side of the ship. All right, Paul. Grandma, you right up on top. On the top? Mm-hmm. In dark, dank, smelly steerage compartments, they huddled through the voyage, 
confiding in each other their pitiful hopes and dreams for the new land. Boy, I'm going to love it in America. I hear they got eggplants the size of your head. I'm going to pick me up a whole armload of eggplants and squash them all over my face. I'm going to hit myself in the head with big aubergines. Oh, yeah, I'm going to roll around in them. Eggplants the size of your head? Yep, and they got goiters as big as eggplants. Well, they got heads big as your goiter. And eggs the size of headplants. I'm going to get me a 56 Ford and put it up on blocks right on my front lawn. I'm going to get me a pickup truck and drive up and down the main street as long as I like. Yeah, and they got fine schools there, too. You can go right on up through the first grade. Not me. I'm just going to hang around bus stations spitting and picking my nose. Oh, and there's lots of old refrigerators for the kids to play in. Hey, friend, you want to move that fuzzy duffel bag so I can sit down? That's no duffel bag. That's my daughter, Fuzzy May. But you can sit on her just the same. Hey! Knock off that west ring down there and keep rowing! Or I'll crack this whip till your neck's turn red! Redneck? What kind of cracker is that? The hazardous journey was made even worse by the choking dust storms that plagued them every nautical mile of the way. After two long days at sea, a sharp-eyed hillbilly lookout with bad teeth sighted land. But didn't think it was important enough to mention. Hey, we're sinking. What? Women and children first. We're sinking. Unstrap that mattress. What? Hand me that fuzzy duffel bag. Oh, we're sinking. And so as their ship slowly sank in New York Harbor, the happy hordes of homely, humble hillbillies hot-footed Hillworth. But first, a short stop at Ellis Island, where helpful immigration officials welcomed the new arrivals. Hey, you, Slimeface, you're next. Oh, me? Yeah, race. Hillbilly. Country of origin. Italy. Name? Name's Michelangelo Boonerati. Well, what kind of moniker is that for an American? From now on, you're MC Boone. Hey, you just stamped my hand. That's so if you go out, you can come back in again. Oh, I see. Next, name, Claude Debussy. Hey, Boone, wait. Huh? Forgot your duffel bag. Oh, come on, fuzzy mate. Debussy, you're Clyde Devins. Having completed processing, the friendships made on shipboard ended as they headed for their different destinations. Say, taxi! Where are you headed? Purse Island. I'm headed for Fort Leonard Wood. Fort Knox for me. I'm going to Lackland Air Force Base. Say, you mind if I strap my mattress to the side of the taxi? Grandma, you right up on top. On top. You coming, Lim? Nope, not me. I'm just going to hang around this here bus station, spitting and picking my nose. Well, if you're going to sit on that fuzzy duffel bag, don't be flicking boogers on it. And so they traveled, first into the heartland and then into the heart of America where their contributions are woven into the fabric of American culture. Hush puppies, crickets, rotten teeth, mental retardation, goiters, incest, genetic inferiority, black lung disease, fender skirts, cancer of the lip. The list goes on and on. And, of course, who can forget those noteworthy Americans who proudly call themselves hicks, crackers, rednecks, hillbillies. Minnie Pearl, Gomer Pyle, Andy Griffith, Robert and Jim Mitchum, Patsy Cline, Buddy Epson, Buddy Hackett, the Hills Brothers, the Bond Brothers, Julian and Gary U.S., Arthur Hillbilly Gene King, Mel Torme, the players and coaches of the Miami Dolphins, Billy Graham, Tex Ritter, Tex Ritter. And that's when I woke up. Next week... 
on the immigrants, the albinos, the pale pink-eyed people. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 